0: Hey everybody, we're the Con Artists. We're back for another podcast episode. This time it's just Scott and I, and we're going to be talking about Ubisoft's Child of Light. You can grab this game on the PSN right now for about 15 bucks. Disclaimer, this podcast is going to contain pretty massive spoilers for Child of Light, so if you haven't played the game and you're very sensitive to spoilers, you might want to save this podcast for another time. So, Scott, how did you hear about this game? Because I've been really following it since its conception, I saw promotional videos for it on IGN.com, and right from the get-go, I was in love with it. It's got that, you know, sort of almost watercolor-type style for a lot of it, almost hand-painted type style for part of it. It's it's just so gorgeous-looking, and I remember when I watched the promotional videos,
1: I was really excited. Yeah, well, uh, honestly, it's if I've mostly heard of it because of you. Like, you... Uh, you- said a lot of good things about it, and like I'd heard little bits and pieces here and there, but you were the first person who'd actually really enjoyed it and played it. And I was like, well, I should give it a try. Okay, that's cool then. Awesome. I'm
0: glad you gave it a try. So, I mean, the visuals are pretty striking. I mentioned it looks kind of watercolory, kind of hand-painted. It, it gave me that sort of Okami feel. Not totally Okami, because it's in 2D, but I haven't really seen a, a lot of games like this. I feel like it's very unique in the way it, it looks, and it's really striking. So I know, Sky, you've played a lot more games than I have. So do you know any other games that you can recall that
1: look like this or have this same feel? No, I mean, there's there's plenty of games that sort of try to have like a, I don't know, like a sort of artsy feel, but very few are like this one. I mean, this is like a lot of... it's almost like watercolors, I guess. Uh, I don't know if it's actually hand-painted, but it certainly has that feel of, like, hand-painted backgrounds and every part of it, really, even the menus and stuff. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's it's definitely the single most striking feature of the game is how nice the uh, the background and foregrounds look.
0: Yeah, it really gives it that storybook feel. You know, the director talks a lot about that in the promotional videos I was watching. So it looks amazing right off the bat. So the other thing i noticed it's really hard to get away from is the music. The music is just stunning in this game. It's uh it's a bunch of piano music mostly composed by a woman named Coro de Piret. Um it it's just amazing all the way through. It's it's so peaceful and pleasant to listen to at certain points. I remember in the promotional videos I had heard the boss theme oh, man, the and boss theme I was so like, "Oh my gosh, this theme is absolutely amazing. Instantly pre-order this." You know, there's a, there's a full-on orchestra at one point to play the boss theme. So, it was it was just beyond exciting. But like I was saying, a lot of the music isn't full-on orchestra. It is just a piano. So, it was it was amazing to me that they could get that beautiful of a soundtrack out of mostly just instrumental music, and mostly just piano, honestly.
1: Yeah, the whole game kind of has, well, it has kind of like, I guess there's a theme of the game, sort of. It's this same little string of notes that sort of appear in a lot of the songs, but they'll change them up for every new area, uh, like, put a different tempo behind it, so it's... Yeah, there's kind of like a consistent theme, but they change it quite a bit. And some of the better, or better, I guess, the bigger boss battles, they have, uh, like, they have choral pe- like parts in there, really impressive stuff definitely gets your uh your blood pumping,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. that was probably one of the neatest features of the game, so the visuals, the music, so I'm not gonna lie. I was pretty impressed that they chose to have a young girl as their lead character you know i'm not there's no way around it, there's not a whole lot of female characters in games in general, and the fact that they went that route was really interesting to me. I thought it was really
1: awesome. It's true, and she's like actually a female protagonist. She's not accidentally a male in disguise, or like an alien or something.
0: Right, she doesn't fall in
1: love with some guy
0: who ends up being the real protagonist. It's nothing like that.
1: It's true. She's actually the main character the whole way through. So, uh, pretty surprising.
0: Yes, and she assembles this interesting cast of characters. I mean, the characters are all so fascinating, I think you're really used to the idea of a group of characters that are kind of like more Final Fantasy, like the rogue and the archer,
1: the mage. Sort of class-based, yeah.
0: Right, class-based, and they all have this certain flair you expect, this certain dynamic respect to, and the first person you run into is a tumbling (laughs) clown. And she's like, oh yeah, hi, I'm gonna join your team. And you're like, really? You're like, great.
1: I've got a jester.
0: Yeah, you're like, I have a jester on my team whose attack is tumble. This can't end well. This is going to be really (laughs) dumb.
1: By the way, tumble (laughs) is incredibly useful. Incredibly useful. Tumble's awesome. Yeah, the the battle system works kind of like, sort of like Grandio, a little bit, where there's kind of like a real-time thing. There's an action bar, and then there's a period of time in which you're casting your attack, sort of. If you attack someone during that, you can interrupt their attack. Yeah, you can. It's Uh, pretty sweet. So, tumble is super useful because it has such a short casting time and you can use it as an interrupt all the time.
0: So, did you make heavy use of Ignacio... Igniculus. Igniculus, sorry. Igniculus
1: is, like, so useful. Like, it's actually, that's... Probably one of their of the cool improvements they made on the the sort of the the standard here. I mean, the standard it actually feels a lot like a JRPG, right? You got guys that stand in the line on your side and guys on their side, and you take turns. I mean, there's an active time thing going on, but for a you know a Western main game, it's a very JRPG feel, I guess. Uh, but the little firefly guy acts in real time. There's no hmm. There's no delay in having in being able to use his powers, which is pretty cool. So he can actually go and annoy enemies or heal your guys all the time, even when there's nothing else really happening, like, even when you're, it's not your turn, and that's a cool idea. So that's a major improvement.
0: Agreed. So were you pretty good at it from the beginning? Because I'm not going to lie, in the beginning, I wasn't watching his little like health energy bar thing, and when you use him too much, he kind of passes out almost. He's like hanging out there. He's like, huh, huh, huh. You know, and then, uh, I'd, I'd use him too much and then I'd have him fly over and be like, why isn't he working anymore? What is this? And then, you know, he, he doesn't regenerate that quick. No, and you slow. have to collect these plants from around the, kind of around the fight screen and collect yeah, the little light balls. I th- three boss and battles. I thought it was really clever of them to have that. Like, you had, to, you had to realize that that was happening and you had to be smart about how you were using Igniculus and his powers and those flowers, too. Because they don't regenerate some of them. Or it takes a really long time to regenerate. Like, too long to make it through the level. Or the b- battle, I should say.
1: Right, like you can you can slow down the enemy like during like well there's during active time I guess, but when things are paused, like when you when it comes time for your character's turn, you do pause. So you can pick from menu, but he can still move around and heal your allies while you're in this pause mode. So if you want to, you can use up all the orbs on the entire screen just to heal your characters, but then you're going to have nothing left when it comes time to try to slow down the enemies, which is vital to to making the game work and sort of like timing which enemies you're slowing down and when to try to get them all into the like the interruptible zone when one of your all attacks go off is probably the most complicated piece of strategy in the game.
0: Right. And have different characters move at different speeds along that bar except, you know, some of them are really really quick, you know, so then you're trying to figure out oh, am I going to slow them down or I'm just going to defend when they have when they're coming around. It was uh Really interesting. There wasn't a whole lot of magic going on in the beginning. You know, I was just kind of like hit enemy, hit enemy, hit enemy, and uh, Aurora especially. I expected her to have the all this magic power, and I guess that's kind of my own personal bias, considering that she's a female character, uh-huh. and in most JRPGs, the female character is either like the mage or the magician. And so I was like, oh, well, where's all the magic? Why am I just using? Attack, and sword, and... Alright, I guess this is a
1: thing? Yeah, she's got, like, Starlight, which is, like, the quick, a quick version, and there's this, uh, like, Light Ray, which is the slow, powerful spell.
0: Yeah, but those cost a lot of magic in the like, beginning, everything and costs a you're, lot you're of like, magic. well, oh, I don't boy. just want to go
1: blowing all my magic helter-skelter like that. Right, like, I think it costs, like, 6 MP, let's say, just to use Starlight, and you only have, like, maybe... 12 or 15 when you start the game. So spells are expensive. I mean, it's easy to recover magic between battles, but during battles is actually quite difficult.
0: Right. So yeah, that felt detrimental.
1: Well, no, I, actually, I totally built her to be like a physical powerhouse, which was pretty cool. I mean, she was still pretty good at magic, and actually the final battle, I think I used exclusively magic because the enemy was weak to light, and she's the only one that could do light damage. Right, right. But most of the time, she was hitting due to the sword all the time.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you get other characters in your party later on that have significantly better magic stats than she do, or people whose physical attacks have magic weaved into them, or something. And by the time all that happens, you're you were much better off just dumping all of your stats into Aurora's physical.
1: Yeah. Although honestly, there's only one other character that even gets magic. Uh, Finn. Yep. The little, yeah, that's right. Family guy. Which I thought was kind of weird. So basically, Aurora gets light, and he gets every other element. Which there's three. Uh, regular elements, and then no one else has magic. Which means that when you come across enemies that, you know, need to be hit with magical damage, it can be a bit of a pain to get them out. I, f- I feel like there's, there's like what, how so many characters were there in the game? Like six or seven characters, and only two of them have magic.
0: Yeah, that's true. Because you've got what, like the Tumblers and Tristus. Well, Tristus is one of the yep, Tumblers. So that's two. Again, um, uh, the you Dragon have, Girl, have really have magic going on.
1: Time- person like a time mage but it's not really magical damage
0: oh that's true there's
1: Nora oh yeah Nora um shoot, who else was there Owengus. right and if you, oh, you right, Robert. Robert the, the archer Owengus the big like a big tank guy and
0: if you did the DLC you had the golem ah, I did not do the
1: DLC how was golem guy what did he do
0: uh, the golem was pretty cool. He was totally physical, though. He had a couple attacks which paralyzed the enemy. Nice. Which were somewhat useful, but they were sort of hit or miss. And uh, he's very slow, considering he's the big juggernaut character. Um, so you had to speed him up later on when he got some of that time magic. Oh, yeah. But really, I mean, I think my personal favorites, in terms of the magic system anyway, were the ti- was the time magic. Like... Nora and Tristis. I mean, Tristus, you get him and you're like, what? Another jester? What's up with this? But he was a time magic powerhouse, along with Nora, because, I mean, I just pumped Nora's stats in the time magic arena, and I was just like, honey, make all
1: my characters move faster now. Oh yeah, quicken and slow down. I mean, she was. if you had yourself speeded and the enemy slowed, like... I think I had a boss battle where the enemy never even hit me just because I managed to get that to go off. I mean, it's crazy how strong you can be with time magic.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, we're saying time magic here because you could speed up your characters or slow down the enemy characters. But what was interesting was I never really felt a tanking effect. You know, even if you sped your people up and slowed them down... There was a time limit to such things, and you wasted a whole turn to use it. I mean, I I never really felt like it was unfair to have time magic.
1: Scott, what were your thoughts on that? Well, the key thing is that you can only have two party members out at once. So, like, let's say you're using Tristis to, you know, to buff everyone's speed. If he uses buff all, and you want to buff another person, well, you gotta switch the other, you know... Whoever you just buffed with speed magic has to get moved out of the battle, so the other person can come in and get buffed. So... Yeah, it does, it's not too powerful because you can only have, it's very hard to get a lot of people sped up, basically.
0: Yeah, and I I thought it was a really nice thing, though, that you never got penalized for swapping your characters out. I mean, that's that was really neat because it gave you some time to sort of think about what you were doing, or if you
1: accidentally picked the wrong character or something, you weren't penalized for it. I thought that was cool. Oh, that was great. Like, yeah, if if they come to the end of the the time when it's time to take their action, you can just swap with no penalty at all. Uh,
0: I think it helped, too, with being able to experiment a bit because you'd get a new character and you're like, oh, let me just swap them in to see all their moves. Oh, my Jesus, this was a terrible idea. Let's swap them back out. That was like me and
1: Robert all the time. Right, and when it came to time for boss battles, it was super useful to have this large stable of characters because when one guy got beat almost all the way to death, just swap him out for someone else, uh, and either don't heal the person you swapped out, or heal them when you know when you got a better chance of doing it right. So you'd have to like work your way all the way through your entire uh, group there trying to fight this, which made for some pretty cool battles where like the entire team is on their last legs and like we got to take this guy out. So Scott, I'm
0: curious, you know, talking a little bit about party members here, I tended to use the golem a lot in the beginning, you know, because he was basically a tank and he could take the enemy out in a few hits. And it's really interesting because even later when you get other characters, like, say, Owengus, who is another definite tank on the team, uh, it's it's almost hard to justify using your new party member because they are severely underleveled with respect to your current party. I think poor Gen... She's like a dragon girl oh, suffers again. this the worst. Like by the time you get her, your party's got to be on like level 30 or something like that. And she comes in and she's like level 10 and you're just sitting there going, uh, uh well, I'm not really going to use you right now.
1: Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the really strange thing about it is, so like, like a character joins you, like, and it usually isn't that disparate, I mean, Gen was pretty disparate, but they'll come in at, like, you know, level 25 or something, you'll be level 30, but you will have gotten a skill point for this, there's, like, a skill tree for all of your abilities, you will have gotten a skill point for, like, every level from 1 through 30 where you are now, but they only come in at level 25 with, like, 10 skill points, and every character... Seems to do that. So no matter when they come in in the game, no matter what their level is, they only start with like ten skill points. So the characters you get at the end of the game have way less of their abilities than the rest of your party, like whoever came in before. So like the the Rebella, the the Jester has like a million billion skill points by the end of the game, and like Gen has by the time I got to the end of the game, I don't know, maybe fifteen or something. It was crazy. So I'm not I'm not sure that was their best move there. Yeah, I, I hardly used her.
0: Yeah, that was not the greatest idea, and I know for me, I use the Golem a lot, even after I got a I use Rubella a lot. You get her, and you're like, oh, the Jester, yeah, and then she's just epic. Rubella's just epic. She um, she has awesome moves that go off really quick, and then she has healing. So she's like a mage, or the cleric, and
1: her attacks are incredibly powerful it's it's just great, yeah, she got healing she's he she's i think she's the only person that gets heal all so yeah, she's kind of like, yeah, like she a she does tank, a little bit a healer, and she can interrupt the enemy pretty quickly because of her attacks go off faster than most other people's. so she's an excellent utility character,
0: yeah, so I used her a lot, Trieste a lot
1: once I got him god i didn't I didn't use him at all, like even even the time magic I used occasionally, but I didn't use him nearly as much as the other characters. that's interesting
0: I used Nora a ton. Up until, oh... I use Nora so much. Nora, why? Nora.
1: Nora. We'll be
0: talking about that a little later, but... Yeah, we will. I hardly ever used Robert. I mean, I kind of just hinted at that about a second ago, but I just, I never used him. Like, he he was pretty quick, but he's his light... And he had the light arrows, which I used on much later bosses. That's true. Like... But in general, most <clears throat> of his attacks never did... Anything I needed, and he just never seemed to have any utilities I wanted to have, and he had no magic, so I just, I never really found a need for him.
1: See, he had two things that were useful. He had the, well, it was kind of like Reign of Arrows was okay, but it was basically hit-all attack, except that, like again, Rubella's hit-all attack is faster and generally better. But he did have hinder and hinder all, which was basically like a slowdown for the enemy. Oh yeah, so that's true. He did have those super super useful. So that's like the number one thing I used him for was hinder all. He also had antidote, so in a pinch, he could like deparalyze somebody else, and that was kind of handy. But see, I really, never really had a problem with paralysis.
0: You know who else I barely used until the end was Owengus,
1: because the golem really trumped him on my team for a long time. Oh, Owengus is frigging awesome, because he has a depending on how far he is in the skill tree, like a 10 to 20% chance passively of killing anything he hits instantly. Oh, yeah, that's true. He does have like a super death move or well, something like, any like that. Move, any, any move in which he does damage has a, a, that percent chance to just kill the enemy outright. So it makes him pretty strong. He's, he takes damage very, very well. Like, he doesn't take a lot. And uh, he's just, he's huge and awesome looking. So, uh, although I will admit he had a super duper duper magical attack called Quake, which actually required you to go through the entire time scale twice before the spell would go off, I did not use the spell even once. Like, I, I can't imagine the like the logistics required to try to get him to do that without anyone hitting him is just forget it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that just sounds way, way too time-consuming to do anything of use. I mean, I imagine Quake was pretty impressive when it went off. I never used it either. I don't even know if I activated Quake, like, on his skill tree, but, I mean, there's so many other characters that can launch off spells in your party or launch off attacks in your party much quicker than that and on top of that the enemies move so quick i don't know that you'd ever want to spend two whole times around the turn bar to execute something unless it's like a guaranteed super hit
1: right also he could just be using his standard attack which is incredibly powerful so i I mean yes i'm sure that the magic power of quake would be i take it back there are three magic users but the third one doesn't count
0: Yeah, you know, magic isn't really as big in this as I I would have thought. But let's let's move on. I mean, one of the really neat parts of this game is that every line that somebody says rhymes. And I thought this was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. I mean, I know you and our fellow con artist Dan have mentioned that the um, the lines or the rhymes break down a bit as the game goes on, but I mean you got to give credit to the fact that they even undertook that task it made the whole game just incredible and it it almost felt like a giant epic poem by the end in addition to obviously being a fairy tale so i found that fascinating i found that to be a really neat choice and i found it to be a very daring undertaking which i appreciated a lot
1: yeah i thought it was it was it was certainly it's certainly neat it's very ambitious uh like, it seems like, it, from my opinion, it may have been a bit too ambitious. Yeah, or like, sometimes you'll just, you'll see the rhyme they're trying to do, and it's just, it seems very strained. Because sometimes I'll start at a sentence, I don't know, in like a, like a modern colloquialism, and then they'll end it sounding like Shakespeare, because they really need to get that rhyme to come off. But yeah, I could I could it see just disliking that. When they made a really good rhyme, it sounded awesome. So... I don't know, it's almost a shame that either A, you couldn't have spent more time making everything sound really, really good, or B, maybe only rhyme when it was, like, dramatically necessary, I guess. But it certainly is a cool idea. But I love the idea,
0: the whole thing sound poetic, and the whole thing just added to this fantastical feel that you're always, and you know, kind of entrenched in, and it's it's so cool. And um I th- I thought the game itself was just wonderful oh, yes. to experience, you know. You you always had this sense of wonder and sense of fluidity. I mean the animation helps significantly, but there was always just this sense of exploration and fun. You know, at some point you pretty early on you get the ability to fly. And then you just want to fly everywhere. You're like, "Woo! I'm just going to fly around all the time. And the game lets you and encourages you to do that. You never feel rushed to the next stage. You're like, let's just take some time and float around the clouds and enjoy ourselves. Oh my
1: goodness, that was amazing. I was like, you're giving me flight this early? I'm going to fly everywhere.
0: I think in a way you felt like you were rewarded for taking some time to explore and enjoy all the the different abilities you get and the different
1: areas you encounter. Oh, absolutely. There's a treasure chest tre- a treasure chest in like nearly every possible place you can look.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff and you know, interestingly enough, some of the stuff are only accessible by igniculus. You have to know to send him over, and you can light the treasure chests that are activated by his light power alone, and you had to use the other joystick to fly him over and open up those chests without Aurora being sometimes even in... The general vicinity. She just needed to be in the right place for the camera angle to sit properly.
1: Yeah, he's kind of like a. And there was actually a point in the game where like he went away for a while, and there was all these treasure chests that only he could open. I was like, nah, come back, which is exactly Igniculous. the way they come wanted back, you to feel. Maybe. So they kind of got you to feel like the character. So that was that was a good achievement there. Uh, and actually, it was interesting though, cause like, you you control. Uh, I played it with a gamepad. So like you control Aurora with the main D-pad and like some buttons to do dashes and stuff, but. Igniculus gets controlled with the right thumbstick independently of her. So he can be doing his own little thing. Like, he'll kind of follow you along, but you can tell him to do exactly what you want with the right trigger. And apparently, it's also how you would do co op. Like, if you wanted to do co op locally on your machine, one person would control Aurora and one person would control the Firefly, including in battle, which is. Not the strongest co-op ever, but it's still pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So for me, I played it on the PlayStation Three, and you have, like I mentioned before, you have one control stick for Aurora and the other control stick for Igniculus, and it's it's really neat uh-huh. the way they integrate Igniculus into what you're doing and couple him to not just Aurora, but kind of to the way you feel. You know, he in the game itself, he'll follow Aurora. It's not like you have to keep moving both both joysticks, and uh, you can call him over really quick if he gets lost or something with one of the shoulder buttons, but I-, I think it was neat that you had to always remember you were working as a pair, and that you had the power to split up when you wanted to.
1: Oh, now that's interesting. So you say you played it on, uh, what, you said the PlayStation? Yeah, PlayStation. So I played it on Steam. So now, did you have the, uh what do you call it, the... The UbiPlay shell sort of around the game. Oh, yeah, I had that option, okay. the Uplay thing. Yeah, Uplay, that's what it was. Yeah, like Steam had the same thing. It's, It was like this, this system of, like, if you did achievements in the game, you'd get points that you could spend outside of the game to get more stuff in-game. Uh, kind of a neat way of, of getting, you to, getting achievements to mean something, I guess, but it was a little counterintuitive. See, I never
0: activated Uplay. <gasps> I assumed it was some sort of thing connected to ubisoft that you had to uh, i don't know sign up for and they were just trying to get you to have an account with ubisoft but uh hmm.
1: you did does that means you never got the map
0: okay see i did get a map but uh, did you get a really detailed map or something
1: no it was a map like a general map of all the areas in the game but unless you bought it using the ubiplay system you couldn't it wasn't enabled in the menu so you couldn't you couldn't use it unless you you used ubiplay or uplay to get it
0: I mean, I, I definitely got the map, and I yeah, could, warp could warp at certain to, okay, points in the Okay, so it sounds like game. you already had
1: the map, but I had to get it through the, uh, this unlock system. So it's almost required to be able to use warping in the game that you use the Uplay system.
0: Interesting. That is just bizarre. I Wonder why they picked it that way for um for the PC. Now I almost wonder what my U play does since I already had all those
1: features. It's it's also kinda of DLC. Actually I wanted to mention the DLC. Like the my Steam version came with one DLC, which apparently was a different outfit for Aurora and some free uh stones, I guess. But that may be like the like every character model and everything in the game like we've mentioned has this hand painted look to it. It's all it's all very two D, but Aurora's character is actually three D and very obviously so, and I think this is probably because they wanted to allow you to change her costume with DLC. And if I had one complaint about the visual style, it'd be her, actually, because she looks totally out of place in all the environments she's in. And Maybe that's intentional because she's not from the world she's exploring, but it's really too bad that everyone else has this gorgeous look to her, and she's its honestly kind of blocky CG. It's too bad.
0: Oh, see, that's a really interesting point now, because maybe that is the way it goes, because... Aurora herself is a uh outsider visiting into this world or I guess gets sucked into this world. We're getting into the plot here. And uh she's she's originally a princess from I guess I'd say Austria. Yeah, like Austria in the 1800s, something. Like kind of a weird
1: beginning setting.
0: And uh you know, the there's a narrator that reads you the plot basically and it's hmm. similar to like a mother reading to her kids and uh interestingly enough the the director in the promotional video said that the reason he picked her was because <laughs> she has the most beautiful mother reading to her children kind of voice Really? Well, so it came th- it came yeah it was, it was pretty fascinating was like. that he actually like used that idea as his basis for picking a person so you know she does a really nice job of reading you through the whole thing and um you know, the the whole thing is told via, like, stained glass in the beginning. These images held in stained glass, and then eventually we kind of get to the...
1: Well, yeah, the beginning and the end have these really... I don't want to call them cutscenes exactly, but they are, you know, pictures that are uh, all stained glass imagery. Very cool.
0: The actual, you know, Aurora herself, and then we get into the world that she gets pulled into after the narration occurs so yeah i mean aurora gets sucked into this other world supposedly because she dies in the beginning well yeah she she dies
1: of something
0: right and ends up in this other world and she is a little girl who only has her father and she's very very close to him because her mother has already passed away due to illness and when mm. she passes away she wakes up in this world and she ends up king arthur style pulling this sword from a stone and i thought she was so cute like she's this little you know, frail looking thing with this you know giant crown which is always <laughs> kind of sliding off of her head and this this sword that she ends up pulling out that is just monstrous. It's way too big for
1: her. Yeah, which which they emphasize in combat, too. Like, she's kind of dragging it on the ground. Every time she hits somebody, she has to, like,
0: lift it up and, like, hit them with it. You know, which was really cute. And she's, like, wearing a nightgown. Yeah, so. And, I mean, she's just the sassiest little thing ever. It was, it was so fun to hear her... Yeah, she's very, very stubborn, I guess. And you know, her her animation is riotous when she fights in battle because she has to uh, do a full body swing in order to actually execute attack. You know, you 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 use the attack button and you just you can feel her being like, oh! she swings that sword and takes a swipe at the enemy, and you're like, honey, you you are straining the heck out of yourself to do that thing, and like the crown moves, and when she gets hit, the crown falls off, and you're like, this is, this is great. You know, you felt really immersed in her right from the beginning.
1: Yeah, because she was told to always keep the crown on her for protection, so you're like, oh, geez, put that back on.
0: Yeah, so she really just starts to explore the world and figure out what's going on, and, you know, like I was mentioning, she's really spunky and courageous, so it all kind of makes sense that she's really interested in exploring this world and that, that makes it fun for you as the player. And um, she ends up discovering, after meeting Igniculus, that her father is suffering back in the other world. And, uh, yeah, she's she's out to stop the Queen of the Night, who has stolen, I believe it's the sun, the moon, and the stars yep, from all, this all world. No which She's called Lemuria. World. I keep forgetting to mention what it's called. So... That really sets her down the path of a quest, so you're already, you know, really into it, and you want to see where it goes, and you, I think, mentally begin to feel a little bit of a time pressure, like that, I don't know, that, not really a time pressure, but you you feel pressure in some way, shape, or form, because you want everything to work out, and you're concerned from, from the get-go that something's at stake, I should say. Right. You know, one of the things I found really interesting about Child of Light is its simplicity, right? With a lot of JRPG, you kind of automatically think to yourself over-convoluted and kind of crazy, right? They they come up with these almost nonsensical-ish plots at times in this desperate attempt to have depth or be unique or something like that. And, you know, Child of Light just dodged all of that. It's like, look, we're going to have some turn-based combat. Look, this little girl is on a mission to defeat the queen of the night, who's clearly the enemy. We're not we're not going to twist anything at the very end or something strange like that. You're you're just on a mission and it's all clearly defined and everything was just simplified. It was boiled down to the most simplistic things like crafting. Crafting was a piece of cake. You get these stones, they're elemental in nature, you know, fire, wind, water, and you just fuse two of them to make a bigger one. You fuse three of them to make an even bigger one. You just keep fusing until you get the biggest one you can get, and there are only so many combinations of fusing, and there was no you need this material to fuse this material with this other material no it was just take these two or three stones and fuse them into this other one which has better properties than one alone would have it was it was all really simple and i found that very refreshing
1: yeah i guess the the complication was kind of like you could put them on their weapon their armor or their accessory and they don't there's no actual equivalent armor or weapons like they always use the same stuff uh, but wherever you put it a given rock will have different effects on the three different pieces uh, of armor, which that makes for some interesting combinations. I think. I think
0: it did, but overall, it's it's so much more simple than what you're used to. There's none of this like, oh, let's you know make a bunch of equipment. Oh, the yeah, class no, no system that you've really come to associate with with the JRPG genre, and you know all this making things convoluted. And like I said, it just it was amazing that they threw all that out and just went with this simplistic idea that was just executed really well. And I think it goes to show that I wish everybody would take a bit of a page out of these this book, that you really can make something gorgeous and memorable with just really simple elements. Just execute them
1: really well. Yeah. I mean I think I've a little more split like the uh the the crafting system was excellent. Like, well put together. Uh, a lot of interesting effects. Like they're not, I mean, the, the elemental things are, are kind of what you'd expect, but there's a lot of side effects of putting them on other places that you wouldn't really guess. Yeah. So you c- sort of tailor all the characters to be the kind of character you wanted them to be, I guess. So I think that was really, really well put. I have to agree with you there. Uh, the plot, I felt was a little... like, too much color by numbers, I guess. Like, there's a darkness, you're gonna go fight the darkness because you are light and, I mean, that's really it. I mean, we don't deviate from that course for the course of the game. At the end of the game, you fight Ultimate Darkness and win.
0: Right. I mean, it's it's very simple. It's very soft. It's it's just, like I said, it just adds to that light and airy feel that the, the game has. I, I keep seeming to talk about this game like it's a well-made souffle, but it's... <laughs> It's, just, it's light, just light, it's airy, it's fun, and it's not gonna have tons and tons of that thinkery depth or tons of leveling or something. It's just what uh what you want out of a game, and yeah you you fight dragons at one point you fight a giant spider so it's not devoid of excitement, but it's it's softer.
1: Well, the oh, the areas and bosses are awesome. Like I wouldn't consider them part of the plot, not really, but they are some great bosses and areas to go to. I mean, everything looks cool.
0: And yeah, everything's neat in terms of scale. Like the spider boss I just mentioned, like holy cow, you're in this cave and uh every once in a while like lightning goes off and the uh this gigantic shadow of a spider is in the background and you're like, "Okay," I'm uh, getting ever so close to that thing, and
1: I'm going to have to fight it. I think. I'm going to have to fight that. I don't really want to. Yeah, that's really creepy. But uh, yeah, looked I mean, that guy was that actually was probably one of those menacing-looking enemies from a distance. Like, wow. I yes. don't wanna I don't want to fight that guy. Yeah,
0: I mean, I mean, it it does get kind of generic later on. Like, there is a twist. But the genericness comes, I think, mostly from the sisters, honestly. Like, at one point, Nora betrays your team. Oh my gosh, Nora, come back to me, because I... Oh gosh, she was so useful to my party. Come back, Nora, come back.
1: Nora! No, my time mage! She had all the time powers,
0: and now she's gone. So, um... I was very disappointed at that point. But she had all this awesome time magic, and I had... Man, I had spent a lot of time
1: leveling her, so was, that was was a little bit of a heartbreaker. Because she was, like, was kind of like... She would get in, like, uh, like sort of like little fights with your characters. Like, she didn't really like I don't know, the the, the rat guy. She hated rats. And, like, the mouse guy. She's like, I hate mice. Yeah, skiddies. it's
0: really funny. Like, she just thinks Robert is so creepy. Like Robert is really bizarre. I'm I'm going to give it to her like Robert is in love with this like diva mouse. Like she's she's this she's this like super uppity Ojo Sama mouse that lives in the village he's from and like all the all the guy mice kind of want a piece of her. And Robert's like, oh, she's the love of my life. I'll do anything for her. And like he keeps mentioning this all the time. And Nora's just looking at him with his face, like, can you just, can you just get away from me? Never speak again. Just, oh, goodbye.
1: Oh, Nora. Yeah, Nora. Nora was great. But I mean, I don't know. Having her turn traitor. I mean, it certainly was a uh, a surprise. Uh, I think I was a little disappointed that we didn't fight her, and she got to use the ability set you'd spent building her up as, I guess. So that was a little surprising. Like, you fight her way later, and she turns into a dragon or something, and it's like, well, I kind of wish I could just fight her the way I built her up. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, she turned into a sea serpent, and she's like, ha ha, I've been totally evil the whole time! And you're like, I I almost don't care, just come back to my party!
1: Yeah, and I I think you'd mentioned that apparently her stats are based on how you built her up, but I didn't really notice it too much
0: so i ended up reading a walkthrough at the end i won't get too into detail at this point but uh the game ends pretty abruptly and i just went on to a walkthrough to see kind of if i've missed anything and i ended up reading about nora And you were not supposed to power level Nora because she'd actually retain some of the stats or she'd have other special powers that she wouldn't normally have as a boss later on because you leveled her at various points in the game. And, I mean, I can't actually verify that, so, I mean, I thought that she probably, honestly, because, like I said, I power leveled her, so she Probably should have used something pretty impressive if this walkthrough was right. Yeah, generic Caesar.
1: Like if she'd use all of her crazy time magic, that would have been a very difficult fight.
0: Um, I was I was waiting for her to use something terrifying and devastating. I I will admit, and I was horribly surprised right. when she betrayed my team and uh never came back. So it was uh, yeah, it was unfortunate. Definitely. But yeah, I I will admit it didn't really work out. She's got like three moves.
1: Yeah, I guess we should mention that uh what uh your father did remarry and his wife's evil and her her two sisters are evil and they're your stepsisters like that they're your
0: Well family. then we you know we mentioned sisters here and so there's Cordelia who's the other sister but uh Cordelia it, it's not even she doesn't even try really like Cordelia's just like hey sup I'm just totally evil and you're like but I don't even really know who you are. I have no emotional investment in you whatsoever. And she's like, too bad, fight me now. And she just turns into this giant winged dragon and she's like, fight me now. And you're like, okay, why not? Sure. But that was kind of strange, honestly. Like Nora, I really cared about and that was hard when she betrayed me. But Cordelia was just like, oh, you're evil too? That sounds, sounds great. Let's all jump on the evil
1: boat all of them turn into dragons. I was kind of hoping for something other than turning into giant dragons after a while. I think, out of all the bosses in the game, like, four, maybe five of them were dragons. And then there was, like, a spider and a ogre and some other stuff. But, like, so many dragons. Yeah,
0: there were there were a lot of dragons. I mean, we just described the two sisters of dragons. There's, there's a lot of dragons going on. At one point, there was, like, an elemental dragon boss battle. I mean, I think it, it was sort of worked with the whole like medieval motif like dragons and swords from stones and crowns and princesses i mean if you pull a sword from a stone you should probably fight a dragon right maybe sure
1: maybe but they got so much other creativity in these areas i wish there'd been a little more but whatever
0: yeah so lots of dragons but hey at least the dragons always looked cool right so, let's talk a little bit more about the Queen of the Night, because she was, she was sort of an odd villain. I mean, we mentioned that she stole the sun, the moon, and the stars, and after that, and before that, you're you're never entirely sure what she's
1: doing. Yeah, she's she's ruined the—so you're in a place called Lemuria, and she's basically ruined the civilization there. I mean, there are people in towns you can go to, but they all are basically under her thumb. But, like, you don't really know why. Like, she's she's kind of out for revenge against your mother— And I guess, by extension, you, because of some time she got exiled in the past, or, I don't know, it's actually pretty confusing figuring out what her motivation is or what she's doing.
0: You know, I I almost think we're looking for a needle in a haystack here. Like, I don't think she had an uber motivation. I mentioned, I think, Simplistic so many times now, everybody's probably sick of it. But everything's really easy to understand. She's evil, you're good, and you're out to defeat her. I mean, I, I really think that's all there
1: was to it. I would almost buy that if it weren't for the confessions. Uh, so so confessions are these little scraps of paper you can find when you're exploring, and they basically allow you to read like a little piece of lore about the world. Right Now, I would say just under half of them are really very well-made poems, definitely some of the best rhyming in the game. And really good imagery. Interesting stuff about here or there. But the other, I want to say 12 out of the 20 of them, are these weird series of letters from a girl named Sophie Ashton Wells to a man named Mr. L. That's right. And it appears that Sophie has fallen into Lemuria and is exploring it and writing, and she has like a book of some kind, like an explorer's guidebook. And she's writing down all of her thoughts and sending them to this man. Now, you never meet her, you never meet him. And the confessions don't really have any any bearing on the game, but they do give you a sense of why the Queen of Darkness is doing what she's doing, I guess. Like, there is backstory, it's just... It, it's really hard to get at. It's like there was supposed to be more, I guess.
0: Interesting. So you were under the impression that Sophie is the Queen of the Night.
1: No, no, no. Sophie's just a little girl who fell into Lemuria and is exploring. I mean, the Queen of the Night may not have even been around at that point. Mm, okay. Uh, but, like okay. The, but the, 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 the first eight, Kind of do some give you some insight into the Queen of the Night and her, her vendetta against your family. Yeah, okay, that's yeah, uh, that's true. But there's also like the four explorers, like remember, like the the, the four areas are themed, like the wind area, the, the sea area, and each one of them is named after the great explorer from Earth who found it. Symbol Rambert. Matilda, I think, and I can't remember the fourth. Oh
0: my gosh, you're right. I forgot all about that. Yes, because there's, like, Matilda's area or so-and-so's section. Oh, that's...
1: Yes, yes. Right, like, the, uh, the altar of Matilda is actually where you enter the world. Uh, and she, and she's one of them. So there's this whole backstory about the explorers who found Lemuria, and people went there and they built these civilizations, and the queen came and ruined it all, and, like... There's a lot of backstory there, but it almost just doesn't have any impact on the main game. Yeah, that's that's actually a really
0: brilliant point. Now, one thing that does impact the game, you know, you're, you're kind of getting the impression the entire time that the entire time over here in Lemuria has opposite consequences and potentially in the other world, I guess the Austrian world, every time you beat back the darkness... Aurora gets a chance to look into a pool of water and see her father, and he's slowly dying. I mean, he's he's lost his wife, he's now lost his daughter, and she sees that he is just suffering and slowly dying. And she really wants to get back to him, but the closer we seem to get to the Queen of the Night, the worse he seems to get. And I thought that was a really interesting point. They never, you know, overtly state that anywhere, but I kind of got that feeling playing the game.
1: Mm, I wasn't sure if the two were tied, but you're right, he certainly gets worse over the course of the game, and it's sort of, it's there to hurry you along. And at one point, she actually abandons all of her companions to attempt... Uh, to go back home, it doesn't work out, and she ends up coming back. But yeah, she's definitely very worried for him. Uh, but in parallel with that, the weird thing I think is that there's so when you see it, like he's lying in this bed, sort of dying. And there's also this advisor who's like, "Sir, sir, the waters are rising." And like, there's this thing with the water rising the whole time, and it just seemed to come out of nowhere. Well, that's
0: kind of where I'm going with the whole opposing, opposing forces thing. I mean. Like I just said, I may be making all of this up, but it seems like it was your ultimate sacrifice to save Lemuria. You had to give up the world you once knew, and you had to, you know, belong, learn to belong here in Lemuria, and eventually the father dies, and I think that was the ultimate loss, and... The idea that Lemuria was going to be saved, and to do so, she lost the thing that she held most dear. And then in the end, she has to claim, basically, the throne of Lemuria.
1: Yeah, it's almost like all of Austria gets submerged, except for, like, five towns or so. it's Like, there's five towns that are all being threatened by the water. Again, having a very legend or storybook feel to it. Uh, and so she, you know, she leads everyone from there to Lemuria so like she saves everybody I guess
0: right you know I, I think the uh, the world floods in the end and uh, she, she ends up having to pull everybody out of the Austrian world because oh, the Austrian yes. world floods and she has to pull everybody out of the Austrian world and into Lemuria and then she saves them all and I mean that's she ends up that's how she claims her her right to rule in Lemuria, and it was it was just weird, but it it did feel like she sacrificed everything over there, and once she had fully lost all ties to her original world, that's then and only then could Lemuria once again know peace so that was an interesting thing i'm I'm curious, Scott, of your thoughts on. Uh Aurora aging later in the game. So we, had, we hadn't mentioned this, but somewhere in the middle of the game, actually after the fight with Cordelia, Aurora ages. Like she actually, she gets older, her character model changes, and then you play the rest of the game as a older version of Aurora and I thought this was
1: a really interesting thing. I actually wasn't sure why that was in there. Like, I thought it was great having this, you know, the little girl protagonist. Uh, and for her to suddenly turn into a fully grown woman, it's like, but but why? I mean, yeah, sure, her character model stands there with a the sword and can use it properly now, but she doesn't use it any faster, she doesn't have a different ability set or anything. It's just, she just has a bigger character model. I don't know why they did it. Kind of weird. It was cool because you really felt like
0: she was growing older and you felt like the journey had, you know, real time frame to it. And despite all this stuff, though, I can't really say there was like an enormous change in her. Like, she's still curious, she's still spunky, she still has a sense of justice. So. I I kind of wish there was more to the fact that she became
1: an adult, I guess I should say. Yeah, but the weird thing is that it happens magically, instantaneously. She doesn't grow up, she gets she when she takes out her second sister, I think, she gets her no, first sister. When she takes the first sister, she just gets bigger. So that was a little weird.
0: It was. I mean, I really liked it though. I just I was kind of disappointed that ha- it really didn't have any bearing on her or the st- story, I guess, that kind of threw me off. I mean, it, it displayed a passage of time that you can't really get otherwise in the game, but it, it didn't have the huge impact I thought it was going to have, you know, because they took the time to actually make her grow older. Oh, that could be. See, I thought it was almost metaphorical, though, because it's, it's supposed to symbolize her fighting her family like, I felt like everything got real, honestly. You know, like I was saying, the, the Queen of the Night shows herself for the first time, and she's like, haha, I'm here. And you're like, stepmother, you're evil, it's been you the whole time? And Cordelia's like, oh yeah, I'm evil too. And she's like, sister, what? <laughs> and it's it's this understanding that the fullness of her task has come into play. The darkness is now personal. The Darkness is my stepmother. The Darkness is my sister's. And I don't think she could take this whole quest as an adventure anymore, kind of the way she did as a child. She really had to absorb it as an adult. Like, her father is dying. There is no way around that, and she watches him continuously grow worse, and her enemy is her own stepmother' sisters, so it's it's hard for her to absorb some of that
1: you know I think i I think you probably are right there because when you receive this magical power and grow bigger, you do so after killing one of your sisters, like to death, she doesn't get back up, so you're probably right that you know it's it's a matter of maturing, I guess. You're certainly doing... Things are for real now, just like you said. Her
0: stepmother is killing this world that she has been tasked with protecting, and you, the player, now have to be in a more mature state of mind because this is all really, really important and dramatic now. It just... It felt kind of disappointing that nothing gameplay-wise or anything really supported what I'm saying here. Like, I interpreted it that way, but afterwards it's it's like the game decoupled that whole idea so yeah that was unfortunate but i am going to definitely stand by my idea that i liked the fact that she aged and i like the metaphor that surrounded it even if i may be making up that metaphor myself um so let's let's go completely off tangent and talk about uh, i guess other stuff there was to do in the game felt kind of sparse. There really wasn't much to do aside from confessions for side quests. I was kind of surprised, because normally in a JRPG you expect to spend, you know, a little bit of time on the main quest, and the rest of the time on them side quests. So, I was I was kind of shocked by that.
1: Oh, just, like, finding them? Yeah, the, the confessions were just, like, extra lore stuff. I don't think they did anything uh, other than that. Some people would ask you for
0: stuff, though. There was that fetch quest. You know,
1: did did you end up doing the fetch quest? Oh, the, uh, the trading... Yeah, it was like a Zelda-style trading thing where you'd find the person that wanted the next item and eventually come up with some gold.
0: Yeah, there the was a fetch quest was in Robert's area. You know, people would be like, "I'm starving, find me an apple," and you'd find the apple, and they'd be like, "Here's a letter to deliver. Do that," and you're like, oh, "Okay," and then you you got your little confession in the end. So, required you to kind
1: of really know either way around. I was like, "Oh, yeah, I remember that guy standing there. What was his deal? This was his deal. He was waiting for this this thing
0: see that was cool to me because if you weren't the type that went around exploring everywhere, you oh, yeah you didn't know you idea. wanted to go find that person, and you know the game was encouraging you to go find things, and the game was small enough that you could go find that person, you know." Sometimes in a JRPG with a fetch quest, I don't have any desire to even remotely try because the world is just so darn vast and it's like, go find Person X to do this. And I'm like, you know, I'm sitting there like, there's a billion NPCs in this game. How about I don't care? So I'm not, even, I'm not gonna do this. It doesn't have a bearing on the main plot? Too bad, bro. Go do it yourself. And with this one I was like, you know what? I bet I could go find that person and I maybe I remember that person. So you were you were always really interested to go give it a shot and go find these people and explore more of the town. And the whole game just felt very intimate, I think because of all that.
1: Yeah, like I think the the best one, early in the game, there's like a like a stagecoach on the side of the road with a bird sitting on it, and you can talk to the bird, it just says, you know, caw, caw. Much later, you find this village of people that have all been turned to birds, and you turn them back, whatever, you, you save the day. And then, uh like, the part of the quest is, is finding a guy and giving him a shovel or something, and you're like, where is this guy, where is this guy? And it was the bird all the way back in the first area, because he's part of that village. Like, that was kind of clever. That was
0: pretty clever. Ooh, speaking of that, I have to know you fell for this hilarious plot thing. Or it, if there's more to it, then I know. So if there's, there's one part where I think you're leaving... I think you're going out of Flynn's Village or into Flynn's Village. And there's somebody in the back of the woods... And he's he's hiding back there, and every time you try and approach him, he hides in the grass. Like, he looks like he's carrying a little knapsack, kind of like he's running away from home or I something. I don't
1: remember this person, and actually. And
0: oh. every time you fly by him, he's like, whoop! And then he hides in the bushes. And I was like, "But I want to talk to this guy." Oh. And Scott, I must have spent like a solid half hour, like desperately trying to land on this guy. <laughs> like I'd float up and then like float all the way down, and like really quick, and then I'd <laughs> float behind him and be like, "Ha!" Then fly really quick out, and I I just couldn't talk to him ever. And I, I was really upset. Like I was like, the developers put this in here to make me look really stupid. Was there a way to catch him? Glad I didn't notice. Now supposed to just be cute and funny. Like, what, what is this? Like I couldn't figure it out. I, I really should have looked it up. I never did. But he, I could not conceive a way to get this guy to talk to me. And it was bizarre. Really bizarre.
1: Wait, wait, that was it? There was no- He wouldn't
0: react to Igniculus either. Like, you flew Igniculus by him, he wouldn't hide. How weird. But if you tried to shine light on him, if you got Igniculus near him, it's not like he'd stop and talk to Igniculus, and thusly you could talk to him. There was, so it was he, weird.
1: He blind him and he so wouldn't So really
0: I'm convinced oh. that he might just be part of the scenery, and it might have been there to make you look doofy. And I fell for it. Yeah, it was, a, it was just a huge waste of my time. Wow, I never even noticed that guy. Huh. That was unfortunate.
1: No, I I agree, and I think one of the uh, for me one of the oddest parts was like you'd mentioned the the purpose of the game other than fighting the big bad, is to uh, get the sun the moon and the stars back, and the the thing is like they're like oh Lemuria has been cast into darkness, and it's it's true as you're moving around I mean every area that isn't a, a town or a city, really feels very gloomy and lonely, and they did a great job of bringing that that feeling across, but there was never any any difference from from getting these items like getting the sun the moon and the stars like things didn't get lighter. There wasn't more rays of sunshine. I don't know. That part always
0: sort of bugged me. It's sort of like the Legend of Zelda idea with like Ocarina of Time. You know, after you fix the Zoras, you can go back in time. And even after you fix the whole thing, it's the place is totally iced. And you're like, what is
1: this? I fix this. I fix you, the Zoras. What's wrong with you? Right. Because everyone like they'll say like, oh, my goodness, you know, the stars are back. And you're like, well, all right. You didn't look all that different. Yeah, you guys don't look all that happy. I'm just gonna throw that out there for fun. Yeah, like I said, the road definitely feels pretty like a pretty sad place very lonely. Like you're walking through the forest and you're just like, Oh man, Right. I feel depressed right. just being here. Now, like, that, was, that was very well done.
0: The lore kinda opens up at the end because you're gonna have to correct me now. I've played this a while ago. Your mother appears sure. And it's something along the lines right. of uh, she she's she's not so much been guiding you the whole time, but she's been here the whole time. Almost like hoping you'd fulfill your destiny, and now she can yeah, appear.
1: Yeah, you're right. She's kind of been here. Like, basically, she was over in the real world, and she, or something, again, it's kind of metaphorical. Right. She was poisoned by the bad guy, Umbra the Witch, or whatever, and and died on you. But her dying words were a spell that if you ever died in the real world, you'd be reincarnated at the altar of Matildas right. in Lemuria, which, when you die in the real world, that's how you show up in the game, and the game starts. But, yeah, then later I mean, maybe she had the same spell cast on herself, because she's kind of shows up near the end there, like so she's also in Lemuria. But then again, after the credits, there's a little sequence where she's talking to uh, Igniculus, and right after Ignicus is like, oh right. man, you're you know, Aurora won the save the day and didn't even come see you to say thanks. And she's like, oh, that's fine. She's got so much going on. And then she right. sort of just like fades right. away. Like maybe she'd been a ghost or a spirit the whole time. So it's kind of open-ended there. It is almost odd that she is part of the
0: lore and you almost want to go back and understand if she's been dropping clues this whole time or like you missed her somewhere in the plot and, you know, in the end, I thought it was really neat that they opened up that whole angle for you. And just so you know, Scott, I did read that Ubisoft Montreal mentioned that Child of Light was profitable enough to merit a sequel. Ooh. And they'd really like to maybe not make a sequel, but they definitely want to either make a sequel or make something that branches off the lore. So Oh man, that'd be so cool. And I was so excited, I really was, you know, because there's just not enough stunning little pieces of art like this that are made in gaming.
1: Oh yeah, you can look at you can look at almost any background in the game and be like, that looks right. like a piece of art. Like i take I took some screen caps and like of some of the nice like uh, the plains of Rambert, which is the windmill area in particular, like just gorgeous. Right,
0: they're really pretty, uh, and I mean, a lot of the areas are just so intensely
1: detailed. Hmm. All right. So, real quick, what was your what was your best and worst area of the game? And I'll tell you mine after that. Like the place you liked exploring the best, and the place you hated.
0: Oh man, ah, uh, I loved the. Um, there's a place that's like a bunch of floating islands. It's like a maybe more like pieces of rock, and it's really windy, and you have to. Def- Fly around.
1: Oh, the uh, oh, they're the the Cliffs of Aaron. That's the fourth explorer.
0: Yes, I think it's the Cliffs of Aaron because it just had this floating, airy feel to it, and I loved like flying all the way down and flying all the way up, and it really just kind of emphasized the sensation of flying the best. I felt really free, and it was a lot of fun, and I, you know, I just had a great time exploring that place. I felt so free. And I really hated the thorny tree level. Oh, and Because yes. it just felt so constricted. I guess it'd be the opposite of the cliffs of Eren. Like, I'd be floating somewhere, and in case people don't know, the controls made it so that if you hit this button, you'd, like, fly really quick, and I would be like, wee, oh, wee, oh, wee, oh, spikes! <laughs> and I would be like, this level is the worst! I always seem to be ramming into, like, spikes from this...
1: that <laughs> stupid tree. It was so horrible. Huh. See, for me the. To- I think probably the, the nicest area, now, and I'm doing it based on looks, is, like I mentioned, the Plains of Rambert. Right, yeah. like It's like a, a windswept plains full of, like, big hills and windmills, and in the background you can see the Cliffs of Erin, which is like a bunch of floating sort of Sky Island type things held down by chains, and like that's awesome to look at. There's this giant with a city on his back and you get to, like, explore, like, around him, and that's really cool. Oh, the whole area is just gorgeous. So I love that area. My least favorite area of all time is the Cliffs of Air. Oh
0: no, really?
1: <laughs> oh my goodness, I hate the Cliffs of Air so oh, much. Oh boy. Like, and not because it didn't look cool, or because the aesthetics weren't cool—these floating islands. Because you seen, you said you like liked the uh, the airy feel and the exploring. I. Hated exploring that area because everywhere you went, you got blown to a spike. Like that, yeah.
0: I'll these, give it to these you. Wind That's true.
1: That push you around. And there's these big floating rocks that someone has put spikes on for some yes. reason, like attached to something, They're, like swinging back and forth. And there's like wind blowing you into them, like so. That was a pain. You're t- constantly getting hit by things. And of any of the areas, I felt like the, the the enemies you had to fight in that area were most out of whack with your level, I guess. But and then once you finally get up high enough to get into the city area, it's just spikes. Everywhere they're, they're like dead. kept running spikes, into the tree. But I kept running into all I of know, these I them or something. Most like, of the time, iron fences with spikes all over them. So better that's than that tree, darn it. exact opposite of it. That's
0: that's awesome. You know what? That's what makes it fun. And you know what? If I had giant floating islands, I'd stick spikes on them too. You, so ha-ha. you. That's terrible. Don't worry, you could just sit and observe My Giant Floating Islands from your windmills. Let's let's go with that. Good. That's good. So, we're really coming to the end here, and um, we just want to tell you that this game is amazing. We have very few things to complain about, and for $15 it's totally worth it. It's an amazing little piece of art, and it's really fascinating to learn about and play, and just, I can't recommend it highly enough so the things that are wrong with it are few and far between so definitely get a hold of this it's a really good time
1: yep i may have made some complaints in here uh but definitely this game is is worth playing there's certainly more good to it than bad by a wide margin uh and even just for the art it's and you know, the music it's worth playing all right well
0: thanks everybody for listening to this podcast we'll catch you next time